0: Welcome to Decades from Home, a podcast about the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. And all without saying, Würde sind gut, aber Hühner legen eher. I'm Nick Houghton of 40%German.com and I'm joined by my co-host Simon Maddox, whose perfect kebab to chilli sauce ratio is practically one to
1: one. Hey dear
0: Simon, are we talking about kebabs again?
1: There is kebab news and it's not every day we get to do kebab news, so I'm quite excited.
0: I feel like this is the perfect time to to insert kebabs for lunch <laughs> as a as a throwback to our kebabs for lunch episode. Kebabs but for lunch. I don't even know what episode number that was, but yeah, kebabs for lunch. Anyway, tell me about this uh,
1: kebab news that you've got. The other day, maybe two weeks ago, we were walking uh, towards the woods from our house and our local pizza place, which is literally on the corner, had a handwritten sign in the window that informed the, the population of my village that the shop was shut and that it was open for sale. Like if you wanted to buy a pizza shop, they were, they were listening to offers. And they had a, a handwritten mobile phone number, no price, nothing. My wife and I walked past and we're like, oh, that, that's interesting. I wonder what's going to happen there. And then we spent about two hours on our walk, brainstorming all the different business ideas that we had for the shop and all of our hopes and dreams for what might happen to it. Uh, Top of the list was a cannabis shop, but (laughs) it's a bit too soon uh, for the local economy to face those realities. On our return from another walk yesterday, we saw a new sign, printed sign. Someone has a fucking printer now, and it informed us that there is a new pizza and kebab house coming, and kebab. So I'm going to have a kebab house 15 metres from my house in the future, and it's the only thing that's been missing (laughs) since I moved to the suburbs. When we open Lieferando or any sort of delivery app or just try and get food from any of our local restaurants, it's like 95% Italian places, which is fine. I love a pizza. But the one food that I just couldn't get without having to get in the car or walk for an hour and a half uh, was a kebab, any Turkish food. So I am thrilled. I am giddy with excitement about the possibility of kebabs for breakfast, lunch and dinner in the near future. Kebabs for breakfast, that's a a bold a bold statement, but
0: not unheard of. Um the thing I was thinking, I mean I'm not surprised the pizza place is closing down. I'll be honest, I've never seen anybody in there. Every time I've driven past, it's either closed or empty.
1: Yeah, I mean I don't know I don't know. The pizzas were actually quite good. Like the crust and the base was very, very nice and had a good sauce, but they they didn't have much in the way of pizzas that I really like. And I'm not massively choosy, but they didn't have anything with anchovies on it, which I think is kind of a staple if you're doing pizza. And the the Diavolo, which is a sort of standard spicy pizza that you get almost everywhere, uh, he had olives that had the stones in. And I think that's okay. Like, olives with stones taste fine, but... You need to, like, let people know that, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise, just a risk of, like, massive dental ruptures uh, and high bills. Um, So, yeah, I thought that was a bit of an issue. And one time, we called to place an order, and he said that he didn't have the salad that my wife's friend wanted. My wife then asked her friend, oh, what would you like instead? And in that period of her asking, he hung up, we think. (laughs) Customer service at its best. And then we went over uh we're like we just called and like we're your neighbors and we live just over there he's like oh yeah the phone line sometimes is, is not very good and yeah so i think he was just a bit of an impatient prick <laughs> so i'm not not too sad but it's a very convenient location so uh, god willing the good people of everest of having pizza will be nice and i'm going to be there on opening day and introduce myself and <laughs> <laughs> this is this is my usual order
0: <laughs> it's
1: chilli sauce and garlic
0: sauce and a, a bit of kebab. Yeah. Uh, it feels like there's a like a life lesson there. Uh, every time a, a pizza shop closes, a kebab
1: shop opens. <laughs> 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 it's like a bit of wisdom. It's going to take a long time for this uh, takeover my local area, but looks so like there's so many Italian places and most of them are subpar. Mm. Um, I mean, yeah, Bavaria has loads of italians historically there are loads moved here in the 50s and 60s and so there are really fantastic pizza places all over bavaria and of course all over germany but it seems i mean we've tried 10 i guess in the last eight months since we moved here and there have been two that i would say were like decent and the majority have been disappointing there's
0: loads of good like pizza restaurants Mm -hmm. i I never go go hungry if i'm looking for a decent pizza if i'm going to willingly sit down in a restaurant but one of the things that the pandemic definitely highlighted was the insane lack of good takeaway pizza places I mean, we were before we moved lived in the city center of augsburg and so we were kind of lucky that there was two or three pizza places there was one that was amazing by the dome i think it's just called Pizza by Dome, it <laughs> wasn't really imagining, <laughs> but he walked past. It smelled amazing, and it tasted amazing. And they did uh take away but the best pizza was from this really nice restaurant that had started doing pickup deliveries. Mm-hmm. um And it was just, it was like the best pizza that you could. I mean, it's not surprising the people in the uh in the kitchen were from Naples, and that's and if you know your pizzas, then Naples is the place to. Get a pizza. Yeah. I believe it's the origin of the pizza is Naples, but so it was solid. It was really, really good. um But as we've moved out of the sticks, we basically suffer these kind of combi places that do mm-hmm. b- burgers and pizzas, and neither of them are good. Yeah, like I remember ordering a burger for a while ago because I, I refused to eat at McDonald's I w- after working there as a teenager and seeing, yeah, seeing how it's made. It's not really something I want to <laughs> think about. And so, got I got a burger from there. It was so subpar, It was so disappointing. Like all I wanted was a bacon double cheeseburger. Like, how do you fuck that up? <laughs> know, wait, these guys definitely fucked it up. Uh, and the pizzas are just, uh, the, the taste, of the base is like a frozen pizza and mm-hmm. then it's just like loads of cheese on the top. And it's just like, come on, make a freaking effort. Yeah. Like really, it's like the two things. And, and I think we've talked about takeaway food being pretty naff generally. Like the, there's a place that I ordered from that
1: had like amazing food and then it closed. Mm.
0: It's a for fuck's sake
1: <laughs> like everywhere i like clothes i did mis- read a pretty amazing review of one of the local places here which made me stop in my tracks where the person said we are regular customers which is stamkunden um but a lot of the time the paper <laughs> the pizza tastes like paper i was just like what <laughs> why are you a regular well, don't customer eat that, then. Yeah. for this product that yeah. tastes like paper um but yeah, i think people are just sort of held hostage by proximity or lo- mm-hmm. a sense of loyalty, maybe. We used to live near a place that was called Pizza Roberto. And he was a lovely Italian man. He'd had the same shop for 25 years and he looked like he'd been doing it for five. Like he'd aged like fine, fine wine. <laughs> he looked incredible. <laughs> and they only did delivery, uh, ta- take out. There was no delivery, mm-hmm. no place to eat, but it was just incredible pizza. And then he, I don't know, at the start of COVID, took a break or trained people. And there was a patchy two-month period, but eventually he got them dialed in. And yeah, even now, whenever my wife talks about going into the city, we're always like, should we, should we get Pizza Roberto and bring it back? Haven't done it yet, but the dream lives on. And one day we'll visit Pizza <laughs> Roberto and say, allo Roberto. <laughs> it's funny that, I mean,
0: because we're both, around the same time, we've both sort of moved out of the city. And like, I don't miss it that much, especially at the moment. But there's always like, seven or eight things I want to do when I go and Augs- go in Augsburg and I, I and I get like one of them done there's always like oh, I want to go here and I go, go to that place I really enjoyed but like so you sort of don't have that relaxed kind of it's there all the time so you can just go to the mm-hmm. ice cream place that you like or you can go at the restaurant that you like and um I mean maybe that'll change as the summer progresses but I think it is the nature of the further outside of the city of cities you live in journey the less less quality like even stupid stuff like our supermarket, like it's a big supermarket, it's a raver, and it doesn't have cotton buds, like process that it doesn't like and unless they're putting the cotton buds next to the fucking ice cream <laughs> or next to the i don't know the the vegetables, there's no cotton buds, and um, I couldn't get a bottle of Kahlua. which I feel like okay, I can reasonably <laughs> understand why I can't get a bottle of Kahlua. but I could get like bottles of every other fucking alcohol under the sun, stuff I'd never even heard of um but like it was just weird and just like a weird selection of options the you're sort of subject to whatever's within a certain sphere of, of distance but it, for me like there's there's a town that's maybe it's maybe 15 minutes away by car and i'm like oh, i'm just gonna go to this one because it's better. this supermarket because it's better my wife said like, oh it just takes forever it's just why we're we going then i'm like it's like 10 minutes extra i don't understand the problem but like, I don't know whether that's uh, people who live in villages and drive cars versus someone who walked everywhere. Like, if you walked everywhere and took public transport for a lo- long, large portion of your life, getting in a car and driving for fifteen minutes is fucking nothing. Do you and your wife
1: go to the supermarket together at the moment?
0: No, no, not, not okay. that much. Occasionally, but most of the time, it's me and my daughter.
1: Okay, I say family trip. Or like, I me and the wife haven't been to the supermarket together unless it was like, oh, there's one there, we'll just pop in. We haven't planned a shopping trip together. Uh, it's, it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare because <laughs> cause I've got,
0: because I worked in the supermarket, I've got a very streamlined process mm-hmm. for everything. Yeah, yeah. Like, I know, I know where everything is mm-hmm. and then you get it all in the right order mm-hmm. and then you can sort of, like, you save some time by just collecting everything as quickly as possible and then you can sort of have a look and see if there's anything worth like picking up and then the packing is always important because mm-hmm. of the, the way the, this, the scan products here and this is... I'm sure anyone who's listening to this knows, maybe not, most supermarkets will just scan and fire the, the shopping at you. So when I put everything on the conveyor belt, it's ordered by weight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. So everything's heavy at the front, yeah. so that it's going to go in the bottom of the bags, and then everything in this. And, and when my wife goes to shopping, it's just it's just fucking chaos it's like i'm not going to buy like why are the eggs on the bottom oh Oh. like just infuriating you know it's just bizarre yeah yeah and we just get into a petty argument about (laughs) like because it's 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 meaningless but it's also meaningful oh it's very meaningful i you know i'm yeah i get it i get it so i feel like we can just avoid arguments if we just don't shop together (laughs) if we just don't talk if we just never talk to each other
1: We're never in the same room. There'll never be any arguments. (laughs) You've you've had the child. The the, the happy marriage is consummated Surely at this point. (laughs) Apparently, you've got to keep maintaining it, mate. You watch out for that. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Now I'm filled with a foreboding dread that I missed something along the way here. I thought I was just focused on, like, yeah, just cooking correctly. (laughs) Oh,
0: no, I think there's, like... I think as well, it's because my wife used to complain about how we didn't have anything in common because uh, we don't really like the same films. And she's quite serious and I'm quite... Well, I'm I'm sure you, if you've listened to podcast, <laughs> the podcast, you know not. exactly what I, what I am, <laughs> you know? Um, like, for Christmas, I bought her, like, tickets to go see a musical that she really wanted. And she bought me uh, a neon gorilla statue. That says everything, I think, about our, like, relationship. She's like, let's go out for a show. And I'm like, can I get this neon gorilla statue with a green hat it's like all i want and she just <laughs> st- still doesn't understand why i'm so happy with it it's the best <laughs> thing ever. but one thing we do have in common is that we both have like a terminal level of stubbornness like, <laughs> like there's no like we're so stubborn and it'll just causes them the, the dumbest arguments because we're just constantly just being we're just intractable we won't we won't sort of admit when we're wrong until like the, the dust is settled and then, like, oh, I'm sorry, you know, sorry. <laughs> but yeah, we're both, we both know each, each one of us inside our heads has gone, I'm still fucking right, though. <laughs>
1: yeah, you're brave for talking about that on the show. <laughs> for, for, for I think respect. she stopped
0: listening after about episode 30. So if she, the, the way I'll know that she's listened to it is she'll,
1: she'll come steaming up the stairs to shout at me. <laughs> My wife still listens. Often she listens in the bath. And every now and again I'll walk into the kitchen and I hear your voice and my wife laughing in the in the bathroom. And there is a, a split second I was like, Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. <gasps> what the fuck's going on here? I mean, I am I am a mm-hmm. humorous fellow. So because I can't hear my own voice, it's just so deep and, and resonant and, and, and sexy, I have to feel to it. Out. I, I have often make I often make women laugh in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that sounds so wrong, but yeah. it it's someone's wife, it's definitely wrong. Yeah. <laughs> And that was the end of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> right,
0: let's get away from this topic. I feel like we've gone yeah. into a minefield and I'm scratching my way out of it. And talk about an old favourite, um, Mr. Dirk Nowitzki. The Dunking um, Deutschman. Listeners will remember. He has a number of quite fantastic nicknames. Mr. Dirk Nowitzki was... A very successful basketball player, and um, now is, I guess, the subject of a lot of insurance adverts. That's what sportsmen do in Germany, isn't it? Once they retire, they Let's see the ING Banking, uh, who I bank with. So, there you go. Hey, Duck. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Doug, do I get a discount? Um, but he's uh, recently had a street named after him in Dallas. Sadly, it's not Nowitzki Strasse which I think would have been the obvious. (laughs) That would have been good. I
1: think it's Nowitzki Way, actually. Ah.
0: Yeah, Nowitzki Way. Nowitzki Gasser. That would have been an opportunity (laughs) too. But yeah, that's a nice thing for, for, for Nowitzki, isn't it? To have
1: a street named after. He seemed very proud about that fact. won't be many other basketball players that have got their own street named in in dallas and of them i guess he's the only german so yeah it's been his home for years and years and i think he's going to continue to be involved with the dallas system i don't know if it's in a coaching role or an advisory role but yeah he, he's going to be part of the city for the future so it's really nice it is quite a short street um as they go <laughs> uh, and that's been some, one of the big complaints about this whole process is that he wasn't given a very big street it's only like three blocks and it's like on a curve. Uh, it's in the part of town called uh, like Victory Park, which is really close to the city centre. And it's mm. only a few hundred meters away from the stadium where he dunked on all, all them fools. So yeah, it's it's, it's really nice. Like you got you got to be happy for Durkin. As, as you mentioned, he's he's a friend of the show. <laughs> um. <laughs> he doesn't even know it. Right. Do the name streets after footballers? I
0: was thinking about like in Germany whether the because in Britain they'd build a statue. I think that's quite typical. Like outside Newcastle, they've got a Milburn, a Shearer, and a Bobby Robson statue. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that's quite common in a lot of football clubs. I've seen a few statues knocking about football stadia in Germany. Shout out to the statue of uh, Max Morlock outside the Frankenstadion. Usually, the, when I see street names, they're named after like philosophers and stuff. I found, I found a an article concerning um, my home city of Augsburg. And uh, it's got a number of different streets that are named after. We've got uh, Anton Strasse in Gugingen And it's a sports hall that opened there in 1973 and dedicated to Anton Bezler, the gymnast from TSV Gugingen Gürgingen, sorry. I've practiced a lot saying that word, so I feel like I need to <laughs> at least say it properly. We've got the um, Uli Beisingerweg. It's currently under construction. Ulrich Uli Beisinger, uh, 1933 to 2011. And he was one of the heroes of Bern in 1954 who won the World Cup. Uh, Heini Dittmarstrasse, which is dedicated to uh, a gl- <laughs> um, he, In the 1930s, he set, an, he set an altitude world record of 4,350 meters, a long distance world record of 375 kilometers, and the first crossing of the Alps by glider. <laughs> so that's pretty sweet. But yeah, there's, there's 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 quite a few, but there's not like a there's even a Jesse Owens Strasser. Oh really? But there isn't like a like a local footballer. I don't know if the only name streets after footballers and sports people who, who died in the twentieth century. Like I would like to go on a um Thomas Müllerweg or a, <laughs> a Lars Bender Ali.
1: That was the Kunz. <laughs> now we've now we're talking. Now we've got it. I think I found the best one here, though. and It's from the world of American football. Uh, anyone that grew up playing Madden, who is now in their mid-30s now, will have played with Brett Favre, who was the Green Bay Packers legend. Um, I think the most successful full uh, quarterback of all time. And his street in Green Bay is called Brett Favre Pass. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty solid as it goes. That's, that's
0: pretty, pretty solid. the other thing i want to talk about moving away from sports stars and streets olaf schultz is in america currently uh, meeting the president and talking about ukraine and giving interviews on cnn where he doesn't exactly Mm -hmm. say anything although he does talk for 10 minutes he didn't seem to say anything of of note but he did it well done to him in english but the story that you highlighted for us was from the the uh, frankfurter algemeine and it's the
1: headline. It's like a highbrow
0: newspaper. It's like a really highbrow newspaper, right? <laughs> and it says, Olaf Scholz in Pullover, eine Nummer zu groß. And it's basically a story about how Olaf Scholz was on a flight and he was giving like a press conference, like a quick press conference before, I guess he went to sleep, and he was wearing a jumper that was a bit big. And the whole article, there's like about a thousand words in that article, and they were all just like chin-strokingly critiquing his jumper and comparing him to Kanye west (laughs) like hip-hop stars wearing overly sized jumpers there's a good line that says that asks did he get this jumper from his older brother because it looked too big for him part of me's like who cares you know (laughs) like if you get a flight especially a flight that takes nine hours wearing something comfortable is definitely advised but the other part of me thought isn't it nice that they're sort of Critiquing the the clothing choices of a male politician
1: rather than critiquing the clothing choices of a female. This, I mean, this is the only silver lining on this absolutely ridiculous piece. Um, I mean, they describe it as strange but friendly, so it's like, they're not being very kind about this. And yeah, it's, it's weird not seeing him in a, a shirt and tie, but the focus that's been given to primarily An- Annalena Elena and her and her jackets. Yeah. It's is really weird. Like it borders on the like sociopathic because all she has to do is wear a jacket that's like a little bit outside of the box. I have a slightly jaunty collar or a slightly like interesting lapel. And people are like, Who the fuck does she think she is? Like she's not the leader of the resistance or it's like it's just a nice jacket. Like every German has a selection of nice autumn jackets. Yeah. What's the fucking pro- yeah, it's, it is weird, and of course you've already talked about how his English has been well received on on Twitter and around the world, and yeah, his English is is fine, it's it's good. Like, there's no problem with it. He's got a pretty thick accent, but mm-hmm. that's totally fine, not a problem whatsoever. But when Annalena Baerbock says anything in English, like Twitter just opens the doors of hell on her, and just so nasty, mm. and totally. it's it's really it's almost like Germany maybe has a sexism problem. No,
0: surely not. That can't be right.
1: I mean, I, mean, I don't think... Yeah, I, I, whew, I'm, whew, I can't think of any evidence <laughs> that no, supports it's not, that. It's
0: not like they need to put in a frown or anything. Yeah, like, and the targeting of women in the
1: press is... Yeah. Huh.
0: Surprising, isn't it? Yeah. It, yeah. Uh, I think it. I think a part of it is... I think it's very much a social media event. I don't think it gets... Any coverage in the in the traditional media, but yeah, I mean, I listened. I listened just as a comparison. I tried to find recent incidences or recent moments where Annalena Baerbock spoke in English, and there was a press conference I think she gave when on a visit to Sweden, or she was meeting with the Swedish premier. I can't quite remember. And I mean, it was fine. Like there's there's a lot of sort of German. Like a good example was the use of since and for. So Olaf Scholz made that mistake where he used Mm -hmm. since instead of for, and that's quite common, but he still understand exactly what he means. And it's well within the boundaries of understanding. He he does appear to be more confident in general, but I think, I think that probably comes with the fact that he's a bloke in politics that probably has not had to suffer the same kinds of uh, shit that um, women in his position will have, will have suffered. But, I just felt, I just feel like it's a total, it's the a really obvious double standard, and and I, and I tweeted about it, and someone someone commented and said, oh, it's it's because he, he speaks better English than than Annalena Baerbock, and I was like, but does he? Like, I I teach it. I've worked in the industry for ten years. I can't see a noticeable difference between them aside from maybe differences in confidence or that there's not been a long form interview with Annalena Baerbock where she's had to speak English, whereas often she has to read a speech. Or yeah. prepared remarks, and I think that that changes everything. And you notice that with the Olaf Scholz, we talked about him doing the speech, I think in English that he did. Before they answered the question to the journalist, yeah, he was in English, asked a question by
1: Channel Four, mm. um, and he answered. He replied in English. Everyone was like, "Oh wow, he, he speaks English. That's that's good."
0: But it was a pure setup because it was because because the the journalist in question speaks German like fluently. He's half German.
1: Oh, Okay. I and, didn't know
0: that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And it's and it's a total setup. And and he's, he's he's I mean, he was good, but I think it was slightly different. It always bugs us because when was the last time you saw a president or prime minister of the UK saying anything other than in English? It's kind of embarrassing to, to 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 a certain extent.
1: I mean, of course, you mentioned the the roles they have being very different, and there was a telling moment in the CNN interview where Schultz was asked about Gerhard Schroeder and his involvement in Gazprom and, and Nord Nordgas and all this kind of, like, being on the board of these companies. And he was able to say, well, I'm the Chancellor, like, and this is the fact of the matter, is the Buck stops with him on these policy decisions, whereas Baerbock is, yeah, representing a relatively up-and-coming party for the first time having that position. And, yeah, she's dealing with... Obviously, Schultz is dealing with Russia as well, but until recently, she was dealing with it far more directly... Uh, as foreign minister and so yeah i think there probably is pressure that was and she she was able to make mistakes whereas schultz could yeah. be like i'm the chancellor it doesn't yeah i said that but i've changed my mind and we're moving on um yeah it's, it's it's weird it's it's a little bit weird but i like his i like his big jumper so more of more of that i did like
0: this big jumper, and i was i was impressed with his with his his talky talk with cnn but um and, and and I totally I think it's justified that if you're on a nine hour flight wear what makes you feel comfortable for because like no one's wearing
1: a suit on a nine hour flight what kind of masochist would do that? Well, I think they all assume the chancellor would. <laughs> That's the kind of masochist you want.
0: <laughs> I think maybe because maybe cause Merkel spent so so much time in that sort of um, the sort of outfit was. I guess it was like business business attire, business sort of jacket and stuff like that. She had like varying different colors, similar sort of style and cut and everything, that maybe it was so ubiquitous that he's just assumed that she was sleeping in it, you know, <laughs> but I'm sure if she was getting a nine hour flight, she probably wouldn't even have given that speech, would she? She probably wouldn't have been, He's. I think there's, there's a style a difference there that he's sort of given this impromptu press conference on the plane. I don't think Merkel would do that. I think she'd give a press conference before she went and then... When she landed, yeah. that would be my suspicion. It's, it's a look. I mean, it's not.
1: It's not thirsty, but it's yeah. I, it's just. <laughs> it's like look. Yeah, I want to talk to the press.
0: <laughs> I think it, it is. It has got has got a high, a high amount of uh, middle middle manager in yeah. in an in, in, in industrial concern
1: to it, for sure. On his way to save the world. Like, yeah, yeah. Of course, there's, there's definitely a, a, a big moment for him. But I think the key thing to remember about any sort of significantly powerful modern German is at home. They've got a pair of house shoes, a pair of like felt house shoes.
0: Yeah. yeah. We're all the same here. <laughs> yeah.
1: We all put our house shoes on at the, uh, one foot at a time, don't we? The only question is, are they fur-lined or not? And yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Ooh, the luxury of a fur-lined so house that's, that's next week's quiz. <laughs> 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 a house shoe on a nine nine danke <laughs> Nick and Simon I cover no you still don't wear house no. shoes I bet I bet your wife thinks that's
0: great I, I, well no everyone sort of is accepted uh, we talked about me being stubborn
1: He's
0: <laughs> a he's an example in, in the real world <laughs> <laughs>
1: So while Olaf Schultz has been flying off to America and doing a pretty decent job of, of trying to put together a unified front, anyone that's been paying attention to the British press or the press around the world will know that Britain's a bit of a fucking bin fire right now in terms of what's going on. Yeah, I mean, we've we've only really talked about this once before. We we always try and... This is a podcast about Germany, effectively. It's hosted by two Brits, and that's why every now and again we get distracted. But the last time we spoke about anything like this really directly was episode 46, and that was the first time we, we did... Broke the seal. nearly a year before we got broken, and this break has come a lot quicker. Like, I've been pretty desperate to to just get this shit off off my chest off my shoulders at the very least because yeah it's really it's really depressing it's really miserable and I feel my pride dented I feel my national identity diminished it's all it's all really really hard to take Uh, so yeah Nick I, I assume you have similar emotions about the state of affairs back home at the moment i'm just really fucking angry all
0: the time about it Mm -hmm. i like i had to stop looking at social media today because it was really beginning to like mess with my mental health because it's just you feel all those feelings you had during brexit where you're just like i've got no influence on this and no control Mm -hmm. you're just sort of shouting into the internet which is no good either but i mean running through all this stuff that's happened with regards to parties at Number Ten during lockdown—just the lies and the bullshit, and the cronyism, and the strategic decision making about, oh well, we're not, we're not call for his resignation now. We'll wait. The myriad interviews where people who hold public office just parade on television, like they just they're just sort of selling their souls piece by piece that's what it feels like every time they defend the stuff that's happened we've talked about nadine dorries but i feel like if i talk about her i'm just gonna go nuts (laughs) because yeah it's it's, it's very upsetting i just you're seeing how inadequate the british government are and how like i can't really speak to i can't really speak to like individuals because I've seen a few sort of vox pops, and they're never really representative of how people feel. I think people are really angry about having been in lockdown while he was partying, and I'm sure like there weren't there weren't as raucous as is sort of the gifs and the jokes on the internet would have you believe. Mm-hmm. But he still broke the rules and just refuse refuses to take responsibility, blames. Everybody. But it's everything we knew about him before. So like everything we knew yeah. about him about Boris Johnson about the kind of man he was about how his, his relationship with the truth is on full display. And I think I said to someone the other day, I was like, I'm at this point now where I can just about understand why you voted Tory in 2019. If somebody said to me, oh, I'm voting Tory in the next election, I just be, I would, I don't know if I could hold back. I'd just be like, you're a, you are a fucking idiot. You're a real fucking idiot. Cause look at what he's doing to the country. Yeah. And there's an example that happened just yesterday, which I've. I need. I need a moment to take to take
1: some deep breaths. So you can talk about what the fuck happened yesterday. Yes, I mean yesterday was was really one of the low points um, in terms of what will probably end up being described as the cut and thrust of political discourse. But yesterday, uh, David Lammy, who's the MP for Tottenham. Who we've spoken about before? Actually, we've mentioned David Lammy before. I'm a, a huge fan. We're, we're huge fans. He's a very, very good politician. He's a shadow Justice Secretary, I think he is. Yeah, a very effective politician who's doing a good job for his constituency and for the party. Very noble guy. He is. He is indeed. And he was walking with Keir Starmer, who is, of course, the leader of the opposition, the head of the Labour Party, Sir Keir Starmer, and they were harassed. I, I guess is probably the verb we have to use. Mobbed. Is another one we could use. Uh, I guess attacked is probably a bit too physical uh, in terms of what what happened in the end. But they were surrounded and harassed by a group of super left wing anti vaxxers. I guess is. I think it's, there's a mix there. I mean, who you don't know anymore that anti vaxx movements incorporated. I mean, there was one guy draped in a Canadian flag, which we which we can only assume connects to the protests happening yeah. in Ottawa and other cities across Canada, which have uh, had people flying um like swastika flags and the like so i don't think we can accuse them of being left wing at all they're strongly anti-vax uh, espousing right wing views extreme left wing views as as you say it is a mix but this all stems from the fact that last week the prime minister decided that he would make light of and and utilize a very very horrible case probably one of the most famous cases of child abuse In the UK by a celebrity by the name of Jimmy Savile and he brought up Savile's name and history in connection with the leader of the opposition and accused him of being responsible for the fact that Savile hadn't been convicted because Keir Starmer was head of Crown Prosecution Services at that point I I think the line the line was
0: you were too busy uh, too busy um charging journalists than to go after Jimmy Savile, something along those I'm paraphrasing here. But that was the general gist of it.
1: So yeah, using a child abuse case to score political points against the Leader of the Opposition is is disgraceful in a way that I never imagined I would see it done. And because of the Prime Minister legitimising these conspiracy theories, it has led to the Leader of the Opposition no longer being safe out in public. Uh, he was surrounded by police mm-hmm. yesterday. At least six officers were there, and he was eventually picked up by a police vehicle and taken to Quite safety. Quite literally bundled into the back of a police car. Yeah. And there was a point where David Lammy put himself in between Keir Starmer and the crowd in a, a very brave moment. It was, yeah, it was absolutely fucking terrifying. I know that if I'd been there as part of security detail for for secure. Or part of the police, I would have been scared. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was very volatile. It's pure like mob justice, man. It's like
0: I mean, it's yeah. not, it's not the fucking capital riot or the charge in the Bundestag or whatever. Like, that's well, there happened. were nooses at both. But there was, yeah, there, was, there, was, there, was, there was, yeah, there was, there was, there was nooses and there was shout to traitor, yeah. and yeah. the it brought back all those memories of like Brexit because there was a lot of that during brexit i remember politicians being accosted Brexiteers outside parliament being people being shouted at by traitors, which was which was spurred on by the media but like it's not it's not bad enough that you've got the prime minister using right-wing conspiracy theories in in the chamber of the House of Commons. I mean, it's left-wing and right-wing at this point. They sort of meet in the middle when it comes to the anti-vaxxers. It's like I said, that sort of they're a weird cadre of fucking conspiracy theorists and
1: conspiracy wankers. Is what yeah, I, I guess that, call I like them that. Conspiracy like wankers. That. I think that's
0: pretty much a good assessment of the kind of people we're talking <laughs> about. But it's not just that. And then and then I think it was thursday last week four of his advisors quit um, ostensibly because of they were claiming because he'd not apologized for using this conspiracy theory in, in the commons boris johnson using this conspiracy theory in the comments, but also potentially because they might be named in this report into this investigating all these different parties during lockdown that have occurred but the it was i think it was the fucking telegraph had a journalist listening and going, oh, well, only a fifth of the comments were about Jimmy Savile and the rest were about Colin Trey. And training. it's like, that's the thing that's broken is you've got people in the fucking media who just, their job is to mitigate everything. Yeah. Everything's not that bad. Oh, it's not that bad. It wasn't that bad. It's like, you fu- you, you're you, enabling balance. Like, it's that bad. It is that bad. Like, we've already had an MP murdered by... A right-wing extremist, like we, uh, days before the Brexit referendum in 2016, we had another MP last year stabbed in his constituency surgery by uh, someone with severe um, mental health issues, but potentially linked to to terrorism. And and then there's this, and it's the fact that today he's like, oh well, I'm not, I'm not apologising. It's like, of course he's not going to fucking apologise. Why would he apologise? Look at his background, look at who he is. He can't admit fault. that is a failing of a fucking leader, but there's still this he's still he's still in power. He's still the prime minister, and nothing's gonna fucking change until some social climbers within his party decide to hand in letters to a fucking antiquated committee fifty two letters he needs to be handed in the nineteen twenty two committee in order for um him to be face a, a vote of no confidence, which he could still win and you're just like that's how broken Britain is when you've got someone like that in charge and you can't actually, you can't impeach them, there's no impeachment process because there's no fucking constitution. There's no written rules about it. And the person who's responsible, get this, like, and I'm saying a lot of jargon here and I appreciate that. Like, if you don't understand the jargon, don't worry, most fucking British people don't understand the fucking jargon either, (laughs) right? But the thing that gets us is he is the the arbiter of whether a minister has broken the ministerial code. So he's basically, he sits in judgment on himself that's how fucked the system is. It's based on, like, well, if you're an honourable man, it's like, well, yeah, but if you're not an honourable man, this is what fucking happens. It, I just want to smash my head off the table.
1: So I'm going to do that while Simon talks, so if you can hear any banging, you know, it's me just going, like, ah! Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's always it's a good sign for a, a modern democracy, the the mother of democracy, as, as as the Conservatives will often us as. When the leader of that party and the leader of the country apparently – uh, is willing to say to his his close advisors that it will require a battalion of tanks to remove him from number ten downing street. The balls are huge on this one there's no dignity yeah it's 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 a really it's it's shit it's i mean it's it's really hard to talk about this without getting either irate beyond belief or just kind of being thankful that we are just sort of half party to it because yeah we are lucky we left the u k over a decade ago and we've made our new home in Germany. We have stability and friends and family here and everything is good. But it is devastating to look back at home and see a country that is so angry within itself that the the sides, it's not two sides, that the multiple sides to this trauma are taunting each other, are, are just trying to score points and have just seem to have forgotten that notions like integrity uh, and discipline and respect which growing up with a bedrock of britishness have just been completely neglected and replaced with the ability to just quote some fucking greek or throw out some latin to demonstrate that you are somehow special and that you deserve to continue in these really important and dignified roles people seem to think that the party success is more important than the nation's success. And when they're point when it's pointed out that other countries are doing better, it's treated as if it's impossible. It's like talking to the Americans about healthcare. It's like, oh, no, American healthcare is the best in the world. It's like, yeah, you all think that, but it's not necessarily the case. And Brexit has opened up a whole new breed of hands over ears, screaming, nah, 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 when reality is revealed. And today... We're recording on a Tuesday, which is unusual for us, but it does mean we can do some sort of more modern, cutting-edge news. Today, on Tuesday, Jacob Rees fucking Mogg has been appointed as the Minister for Brexit Opportunities. I don't even know what that means. I don't even
0: know. Like I follow politics like way more than a human should, and I don't know what that means.
1: I think it means he gets the opportunity to talk about how amazing Brexit will be. I, there's, nothing, there's nothing there. It isn't a role we are planning on doing a bit of a special about brexit benefits uh, whatever that may be or whatever that may mean the other the other thing that gets us about
0: all of this right there's all this like there was someone something i listened to today and it was saying that this is that one of his advisors is a guy called is it linton crosby who's an australian pr guy he's been i think he was responsible for the pr for for boris johnson when he was mayor and i think he did it again. I can't remember. He's, he's worked with him a lot. Anyway, he, apparently this is one of his sort of big strategies, the the dead cat strategy. Of you, you say something out, this is Trump's playbook, you, you say something outrageous and everyone focuses on the outrageous thing while all the other stuff that you're doing is going on in the background. And, and, and there's even a video of Boris Johnson talking mm-hmm. about this before he was, I think it was when he was working for The Spectator or the editor of The Spectator, and he was saying that... Um, you just do this stuff, you do it like chaff, like out of a helicopter to distract all the all the all the journalists. And it's dead easy to get the stuff past people because you you just you just say this you just say this the most outrageous thing and they focus on that. But it seems like there's there's there was a moment where I thought that like, the critical mass was gonna occur and people were talking about him maybe resigning. I've I no belief that he he'll ever resign from his position. But I think the thing that gets us is There's so much fucking wrong with Britain at the moment. Like, Mm. not British people, just with the system, with the lies that have been told about, like, leveling up is the biggest pile of bullshit. They talked about leveling up. It was the, the big thing of their manifesto in 2019. And what leveling up has basically amounted to is dishing out money to places that voted Tory shitting on everybody else. Um, they are meant to be building this high-speed rail network, which the council to the north, like the place that needs to be, that is the most investment is, uh, well, one of the places at least is 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 the north of England, which is sort of ignored. But if you look at places that are desperate for investment, they're all around across the country. all There's loads of places that need this so-called levelling up, um, rebuilding of, of local economies. And last week they released this white paper and it was leveling up white paper it was just it was honestly full of shit there was paragraphs was after paragraphs shit. about about fucking renaissance florence <laughs> and constantinople and it was just packed with bullshit and watching um lisa nandy just demolish it in one of the really impressive speech by um by her in in, in parliament but it's it's the whole like this, the, the britain's been on pause for like basically since 2016 like, this the poverty's increased across the country. Something like 30% of the kids in Britain are living in or close to poverty. You've got food banks usage skyrocketing. You've got a fuel crisis that's occurring. You've got energy bills increasing. Uh, and the thing they're offering, they're offering these things where they're like, oh, well, we'll give you 200 pounds off your fuel, but we're in- going to increase it exponentially. Like by fifty pounds, like every four months or something, for the next like three years, and it's just like none of this is fixing it. It's nothing's fixing the problems, and what we've got in charge is this fucking posh boy idiot who just has no morals and doesn't care, and he's like the worst archetype of of a British person, like all the worst parts of Britain invested in one human being. If you wanted Britain to be better, it's not going to get better while he's in charge. But that's where it is i feel guilty actually i feel guilty that i live here mm-hmm. that's my, yeah, I, most of the that. time like I, oh, yeah. that's how i feel i feel like i shouldn't talk about this stuff because because i don't have a in inverted commas a stake in britain but i do i fucking care because i'm british as well you know like i just yeah it just fucking breaks my heart really to see it
1: it is it's heartbreaking it is embarrassing for all the places i've traveled around the world i was never ashamed to admit to being british and i'm not ashamed of it now but i'm definitely i have to steal myself now for the knowledge that when people hear that name they don't think about excellence or or history they think about what's going on now and how it's turned into like a joke and when Trump was in power, everyone, the whole world, was pointing and laughing. Being like, look what they did, look what they voted for. And Britain just did the same. Some of the things that he's written, not just like quipped, things that he's written in his, in his years of journalism, some of the things he's said, his complete lack of, of cultural understanding or empathy and sympathy have been there from the off. And as you say, like he talks about his tactics openly and candidly He's just a piece of shit. Like one of the interesting ones that came up a while ago was he was he was asked not that long ago in, in an interview what what his hobbies were, what he did in his downtime, and he came out saying he painted buses. Such a bullshit lie, man! It was so full of just shit. That is such a and like he's oh. conniving, he's Machiavellian in all the wrong ways. It's just it's a fucking tragedy. I just think it, it just it's it's not
0: it's going to end poorly, and I look at all the people that support him, right? And I mean, just in the House of Commons. And they're just fucking no marks. There's people in there who should not be in the positions they're in because they're incapable. But you're staffing your government. And it's the same as what happened with Trump. He staffed his government with, with people who were just incompetent. and it And it was all yeah. about his grandeur over everyone else. And it's the same here. It's all about making him look good. And his biggest failing is that because of circumstances, he had to appoint Rishi Sunak as Chancellor of the Exchequer. And he's actually quite capable, albeit he's a fucking billionaire or something, or he's married to a billionaire. He's fucking loaded off, like ridiculously wealthy, spends his time swanning around Silicon Valley and cozy enough mm-hmm. to other billionaires. And morally, he's pretty, pretty vacant, shall we say. But... It, at least he looks like he can manage stuff. I think he like understands how to manage yeah, things. Yeah. I don't think he's totally egotistical. He's sinister in another way that Tories tend to produce these sinister fucking politicians. But like that he's probably the only capable person out of the rest of them. And appointing Jacob Rees Mogg. Like the yeah. whole <laughs> Jacob rees Mogg thing, like that fucker must be he must wake up counting his blessings because he is he is the, the incompetence incompetent incompetent. He's like, he hasn't done anything ever. All he does is he turns... He, basically, his job is to be obnoxious and for people to hate him and for him to <laughs> sneer at them. That's what he does. I don't know what he does. I haven't seen him produce anything. Or, or he, What he did do is make a fuck ton of money out of Brexit through his um, investment company.
1: That's a fact. Well, I mean, this is one of the interesting things as the Minister for Brexit Opportunities. He's going to have to point out at some point that the opportunity he took was to relocate his businesses exactly. to Ireland to avoid the uh, the issues that Brexit was creating. So it's an interesting appointment. It is, credit to them, expert-level oh, yeah. trolling by the Conservative Party. It is deliciously upsetting for anyone outside of that party. And, yeah, it's all I've been yeah. thinking about today. Um, once I recovered from the Lammy and Starmer harassment issues and seeing politicians condemn it but not condemn it yeah like god imagine like can you imagine being the politician who goes on television like i can't believe they actually
0: believe this stuff going like oh no it's i don't think why i don't know why he needs to apologize for it and it's just like because why do you have to think in such narrow terms because you've got to think of you're responsible for a country that will exist when you are dead and what is the country that you've created Mm -hmm. like what it's where david cameron fucked it up because he just thought he was fucking he was Playing the Wall game at fucking Eton or whatever it is, and 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 it was all just a a good a good um, a good scrap, you know. Like it was, oh, it's still a bit of fun until you have to resign because of the biggest failure of the last two hundred years of fucking British politics. It's just infuriating. Like these sort of dilettantes who turn up and just treat it like it's it's like oh, it's it's just a bit of a, a bit of rough and tumble in the chamber. It's like nah man, like people actually listen to what you fucking say. And you've got, you've got a lot of really fucking angry, stupid people who think they know everything because they read a Facebook post. Anti-vaxxers aren't the kind of people you want to fuck around with because they are lunatics. And they will do really fucking dangerous shit. Like, that's, mm. that's the truth of it. And they're already doing dangerous shit by not getting the getting vaccines regardless of the fucking covid vaccine but re- rejecting vaccines so they can rub oils on their fucking eyelids or stick cucumbers up their asses who knows <laughs> what fucking stuff facebook's telling them to do or the fucking youtube telegram groups or whatever you know but like if you want to see an mp be murdered this is how it happens like any one of them could any one of them protesters could have had a fucking blade they could have had anything and like that's that's that like mp fucking stabbed on fucking television like and it's mm. happened before but it, it's the fact that nothing nothing is more paramount than boris johnson and and if you're enabling that then like what kind of fucking quizzling are you that you're like oh yeah his his job security, his reputation is more important than mine. If someone of his advisors went, you need to go on television and defend him. be like, fuck off. Like, and it's why you don't have mm. any of the front bench on there anymore. It's why you have loads of no
1: marks on, like Nadine Dorries. I mean, you talked about how one of the aims, of course, should be that you're leaving your nation in a better place for your kids. And of course, these politicians, most of them have made so much money through this that their kids don't live in the same world that most mm. British kids do. But it made me think of that, that Greek proverb: "A society grows great when old men plant trees in whose shade they know they shall never sit." And that is something that I don't, I haven't seen in British politics mm-hmm. since before Brexit. Like when I think of like New Labour under Tony Blair, there seemed to be. At the core of it, the idea of making the nation better long term. And the Conservatives have tried to get around this by just calling it, as you say, levelling up. As if we're playing some sort of knock-off version of Skyrim where we're all utterly shit and have just a loincloth and a stick and hoping that we'll suddenly become wizards one day it's nonsense yeah the trees are on fire and the conservatives just don't give a fuck
0: uh, no it's not that the it's not that the trees are on fire that the, the the some trees were planted but they dug them up so they could like sell that land
1: to a fucking saudi investment fund or something <laughs> or a nice russian oligarch Aye. who's Aye. given a couple hundred million oh dear um yeah <laughs> it's is fucking miserable i wish there was a happy way to end this but there fucking really isn't there really isn't all there is a happy way one day we'll all be dead <laughs> like, <laughs> it's all essentially meaningless and just hold the ones near to you that you hold dear in your arms tell them as often as you can you love them make your world as good as possible and just don't expect much else <laughs> Yeah, usually I would come in with something optimistic, but that's about my level
0: of optimism right now. So, I don't know. Go have some maltash and think about what's going on here. Mm. <laughs> that's so bleak. <laughs> that's the bleakest thing we've ever done. Okay, listener. You you suffered the <laughs> depressing segment of... of of britain and brexit and all that shit so we're gonna give you before we leave something for you to chuckle about in those uh quiet cold february days i guess i was gonna say months but how do you uh, how do you spot a chicken when it crosses the road simon
1: beady little eyes
0: well you would think so <laughs> no um actually apparently in germany the chickens wear high-vis vests <laughs> <laughs> i was i was unaware of this until again Simon with his mighty collection of links Uh, (laughs) I love the internet this show would not exist (laughs) without Google definitely would not (laughs) definitely would not so this is from a story coming coming straight out of Haslock I believe in the Rhineland uh, is it the Rhineland Falds
1: order I don't know I'm not sure exactly where it is but this is like the shout back episode we have now brought back Dirk Nowitzki from the good old days kebabs for lunch from the good old days And now we're talking about the town of Hasloch, which anyone who doesn't speak fantastic German will need to know that it translates as hate hole. Uh, And we talked about it, I think, in the first 10 episodes. It was like the funny German names uh, of towns. So, yeah, this is from... Oh, wow, I didn't realize this is a callback. Yeah, this is another callback. Look at them. Look at them all in a row, all beautiful. Yeah. Uh, So hate hole (laughs) doesn't hate chickens. this is the the, the good news. (laughs) does not hate
0: chickens loves them no. so two chickens were reported to the police by a driver he saw them wearing
1: reflective safety vests the police say and they appeared to be custom made I mean I'm sure there is someone on Etsy that does these to an industrial standard oh, I'd, I'd assume so you also assume like baby size must exist and that would work on a chicken I'm
0: guessing like infant oh no it's like an infant's too big for a, a chicken
1: right It's. The... it depends on the chicken huh? there are some big chickens out there I mean, maybe, maybe, but... Foghorn leghorn was a big old chicken.
0: (laughs) We're using foghorn leghorn as our scientific proof. That's the standard measurement, isn't it? Half a foghorn. (laughs) Half a foghorn. (laughs) Yeah, so it turned out that the chickens' vests were not being used for road safety. According to the owner of the chickens, these vests were warning vests that should protect the chickens when they are kicking each other and the way that roosters tend to do when they get a little bit frisky. um, I, It was such a curious explanation because I couldn't quite work out why them being road safety vests would be a bad thing. Like, we've got chickens, uh, not personally, um, we've got um, a farm at the end of the road that has chickens. And certainly during the summer, I had to drive really carefully down the road because there'd just be chickens just... Hanging around, jumping in the fields, crossing the roads, quite nonchalant. So it made sense that you would give a chicken a high visibility vest if it was
1: crossing roads. Yeah. Um, I, I've had to, I've, whilst you've been talking, I've been Googling to find out how big chickens can get, just to see if an infant would work. Okay. And I, I'm, I'm kind of staggered. So I'll, I'll, I'll give you a chicken's name and you tell me how, how heavy you think it might be. Okay. All right. The Jersey Giant five kilos no
0: heavier heavier whoa okay 10 kilos no
1: <laughs> no that's a swan like a, <laughs> that's a swan right friend. like eight eight seven or eight kilos it's, it's 6.8 15 pounds uh, wow. and that is that's a big chicken uh, it is the largest chicken breed in the world the good news is if you had to describe its character apparently it's friendly so that's 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 the good news. Pretty chill. That's okay. Number two is is the Brahma chicken, and these are these are pretty fancy chickens because they got like trousers on. <laughs> they've got tr- they do have trousers on. They've got like quite feathery legs. How much do you
0: reckon that weighs? Um, I'm looking at a picture of a Brahma chicken. Four and a half kilos. No more. Five and a half kilos. More. Shit.
1: Six and a half kilos. 6.35 kilos. It's another plus six kilo bird. This that's a big fucking chicken. Like you wouldn't want to, <laughs> you want to mess with one of those. Well, I mean, if you saw a chicken that was that big, you might say cocking chicken, <laughs> and that's the name of number three on the list. It is called the <laughs> cocking chicken. The <laughs> That's a, cock, a cocking chicken. That is.
0: <laughs> yeah. Wow.
1: And its character, it's not friendly. It's charming, apparently, wow. according to, uh. Petkeen How how do you get a charming chicken? Oh, you, you, you haven't spent enough time with chickens if you don't know the difference between a friendly one and a charming one. Do the side left to you and sort of offer you a cigarette.
0: <laughs> he doesn't love you. Come with me. <laughs> Come with me. Come with your coach. chicken. Show you a good
1: time. I don't know why we assumed that they're friends. Well, yeah, I've, just, away, I've but... just glanced down and I see they're from China and Vietnam, so the accent is way off. And I'm not doing. Yeah, well, that. we're not doing. No, we're not doing those accents. Um,
0: um, France is as far as we would go but i think i think a giant chicken's quite a fun idea i like that idea and i think i guess a toddler's hiver's vest would work on certainly
1: on the on that bigger on oh, the jersey giant if i need maybe a, a, a medium child i think there's a
0: yeah yeah my god they are massive they look they do look
1: the very raptor like yeah, very much so. I, I mentioned uh Leghorn, yeah. and his breed is in some of the largest. He's he's apparently a Buff Orpington, which is also an Buff. excellent name for a big chicken. That's a very nice name, Buff Orpington, uh, and yeah, they're, they're, that's what he is. He was
0: quite muscular. I will, uh, yeah. I do remember that. I'm still a little. I'm still not entirely understanding of why the police were involved. Like, if you would drive down the road and you saw a chicken wearing a high-vis vest, you'd be like, oh, that chicken's got a high-vis vest on. I wouldn't instantly think, I better call the police and ask them if this is
1: okay. Maybe the Ordnance you you th- will have a problem with this. <laughs> Do you think maybe this is like, be like anything in a vest could have explosives, like terrorist chickens from the town of Hasloch?
0: Well, I know, wasn't it, was it the, I think it was the Russian army that trained dogs to carry mines during the Second World War. And they released them, except they trained the dogs on on their tanks, so they just ran backwards and blew the tanks up.
1: So I know that I mean the Americans. The the Americans also did it with bats, and they uh, yeah, I think it was also in Vietnam, and they made little napalm jackets for the bats and sewed them onto them. Uh, So the plan was that the bats went would roost at night in the houses, and then they detonate these these little suicide vests and it would set fire to everything um, but they forgot to think that bats nest everywhere including military compounds of the Americans and so they set fire to their own shit as well oh, uh, so yeah, bats in napalm jackets was a thing yeah. yeah, and I'm sure dolphins have been used in the past but dolphins I think are still used uh, as like mine detectors um, I don't think it's like dolphins with lasers on their heads which I think <laughs> someone thought the Russians were trying to do at one point uh, but yeah, they used to detect explosives underwater and clear mines.
0: Yeah. The, the article itself leads to another article about a um, a deer that was run over and someone laid a high vis- visibility vest over it, slightly sadder occurrence. But actually, makes a lot. It's quite sensible, isn't it? You know? <laughs> it
1: reminds me of a similar story I saw where there was a dead raccoon. I think it was in Georgia. And somebody had tied a get well soon balloon to its dead arm. <laughs> God, <that's laughs> it's just, so horrible. It's so
0: tragic. Oh, it's so dark. Yeah. Oh dear. Well, I tell you what. I feel suitably refreshed after this chicken <laughs> chat. I hope you do too, listener. So, if you want to see these chickens, head to Haslog. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go make the chickens down the road a nice hivers vest. I might even make them a hat. <laughs> That'll happen. That will happen. service, my Damon Heron. Thank you for listening to another episode of Decades From Home. Um, I believe by my statistics on the podcast, I'm speaking to about 74% of the audience that listens to these bits at the end. So uh, we have a massive request. Over the last few weeks, we've been asking you to rate the podcast on Spotify. Yes, I understand some of you might really hate Spotify thanks to uh, Joe Rogan being a bit of a dick. But uh, those of you who are on Spotify and those of you who listen to the podcast through that particular app, uh, we're really looking to get our star rating on the podcast so that we can chart within Spotify and grow our audience. So those of you who are on the Spotify app... Uh, go to the decades from home homepage, and you'll see a rating and if you can give us a couple of stars i mean you don't have to give us five stars it would be lovely if you did but uh yeah if enough of the audience do that then we'll be able to start ranking on the podcast charts and start competing with their i don't know jan berman for instance yeah, let's take out Jan Bermerman. He doesn't deserve to be number one. I don't even think he is number one. But hell, let's try and catch him up. Uh, and we need your help to do it you can also rate the podcast on itunes which only takes a minute and can really help us as well you can retweet us share a link or post with the hashtag DecadesFromHome or lowercase on twitter or instagram you can also support the podcast by going to ko-fi.com slash decades from home and contributing to keep us well stocked with tea and beer and hives vests for chickens As ever, if you have any questions, feedback, or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover, you can tweet Simon on @decadesfromhome, and you can tweet me at 40percentgerman. You can also get us on 40percentgerman at gmail.com. If you have any time, take a look at 40percentgerman.com. Weekly articles are up every Saturday. All that's left to say is thanks, and bis zum nächsten Mal. Tschüss. (laughs) we've got to be careful when we do Brexit because I think both of us were totally bummed (laughs) up after we finished